Hello, the podcast is going to start in a moment, but just to say uh, you can support us via Patreon. Thank you very much to everyone who does because that's how we're able to keep making these episodes and we're making a lot more stuff than we used to and there should be, for people who support us via Patreon, at least pretty much three podcasts uh, a week at the moment. Uh, one with Josie and me, uh, then some author extras, which will be me or Josie normally, and then some extras on top of those extras. So thank you very much, all Patreon supporters. Uh, please support us if you can. And if you can't, don't. And just listen, that's not a problem. And a quick notice for Patreons pledging at the book club level. We're sorry we haven't had the first one of those yet. Uh, There's been various things conspiring against us that means we haven't been able to get that up as quick as we'd like. But we'll definitely be having the first one live online in the next few weeks. We'll post the date for that in the next few days. So apologies for the delay, but it is definitely coming very soon. And we've also announced some more guests for our Royal Albert Hall shows in June for the live book shambles events on June 4. It's going to be Professor Lucy Green and now Alan Moore is joining us. Alan uh, was one of the most popular episodes we've ever done on book shambles. He's going to be joining us live at the Albert Hall on June 4. And then June 11 is Adam Buxton. And uh, one other guest that we haven't announced yet, tickets for that uh, on Cosmic Shambles or the Albert Hall website. And then for our big show uh, on June 15 in the main auditorium, Space Shambles, hosted by Robin and astronaut Chris Hadfield. We've already announced that we're having Apollo astronaut Rusty Schweikart, Festival of the Spoken Nerd, uh, Professor Jim Al-Khalili and... We've announced this week some more guests. There's going to be space scientists uh, that worked on the Philae mission and various meteorites and whatnot. Uh, Professor Monica Grady is going to be there. Stuart Lee, friend of the podcast, uh, he's joining us. And another Book Shambles guest, Grace Petrie, is going to be playing as part of the show as well as lots, lots more get like seriously, a lot more people are part of this show, but we're going to keep that as a surprise until the night. You can go to cosmicshambles.com slash space shambles to find out all about that show and get tickets or just go to the Royal Albert Hall website. And now on to this week's episode. Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles, and uh, today talking to uh, an author who has written a book, well in fact tonight, uh, by the time you hear this, we will know that whether their novel has actually just won the Welcome Prize, Uh, and uh, also we should add the Bailey's uh, Woman Prize for Fiction as well, Uh, there's less suspense over uh, (laughs) that particular one, Uh, the book is Stay With Me, and it's by Oyabami Adebayo, and it's a, we'll get straight in just because one of the things is Josie's not yet got to the mm-hmm. studio because she's heavily pregnant mm-hmm. and uh, she's got to, and uh, so we can talk about some of the things in this book because one of the things is as as probably the penultimate episode before mm-hmm. Josie goes off maternity leave this is a it's a book about problems of conception mm-hmm. the uh, fears of bringing up a child and indeed also child mortality mm-hmm. I don't want to give away mm-hmm. too much and yeah. so stop me at any point where mm-hmm. but it's it's uh, a, a, a emotionally uh, a remarkably powerful book about in particular motherhood mm-hmm. and and loss what this is your first novel yes what why why were you drawn to this as a subject so um, what had happened, in fact, was that I was sick in my late teens um, when one of my friends died as a result of sickle cell anemia, which also features in the book, complications due to sickle cell anemia. And then a few years later, 
I was at an event um, with my mother and we sat close to her own mom. And at a point, and she was someone I'd known since I was a wee child, like since I was about two or so. And then at a point I looked up and I think I really saw her for the first time. Not like I hadn't met her, but I really looked at her and saw her for the first time since a daughter had died and was just struck by how much she had changed. And after that, I went home and I kept thinking about what must it have been like for her to sit on the other side of the table and look at me, you know, like I went to school with her daughter. Sometimes our parents would buy matching lunch boxes for us. And I just could not imagine what how painful that must be. And this, I, I don't feel like there's an escape for her from that. I, I was curious about how do you cope with that kind of experience. So a few months after that, I began writing Yejide's character. And I think the book began with her, with Yejide, and um, the kind of strength it takes to even survive such an unimaginable loss. Well, she's a, it's a, a remarkably strong character, but mm. also the... I mean, this what I think is very interesting, we mentioned the Welcome Prize, mm. and this is the first time that I, I've been aware... I'm sure it may well have happened in the past mm. of of uh, a, a fiction mm. uh, being in what is mm. is, is a science prize, mm. um, and there are so many things within this in terms of how much you know your research mm. be, beyond your own personal mm. experience of sickle cell anemia mm. and and also dealing with mental health problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, quite early on, again, I don't I don't want to to spoil, mm-hmm. but there, there is a moment of um, whether one would call it a phantom pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I get the sense that this is in you, this has been very heavily researched yes. that you have d- tried very hard to do mm-hmm. justice to very important yes. issues. Yes, absolutely. So I I mean I had to do quite a lot of research for both the particulars of sickle cell disease because I mean after some a couple of my friends died from it, I became curious. I wanted to know what what was this thing um, that could take somebody so suddenly without, I mean, someone you saw on Monday and you hung out and you had a great chat and then someone tells you on Wednesday morning that they're dead. I mean, it's like, what what, what are you talking about? Um, so I started looking into um, sickle cell disease itself and discovered what it was, discovered what um, the treatment options were, sort of the only cure that's available and is still very inaccessible to most people that suffer from the disease. So it's it's a cure, but it's not quite like maybe 1% of the people who have the disease can access it. So I had to look that up. I had to look up. Um, pseudosciences, which is like the false pregnancy that the woman has. And it was it was fascinating research to look at how the body can essentially trick the mind. Um, or perhaps it works the other way around, that the mind tricks the body into functioning in a certain way. Because with pseudosciences, what happens is that the body does everything literally everything a pregnant body does the only difference is that there's no fetus so the stomach protrudes i mean there's no pretense it's not like she's putting clothes inside there it actually protrudes she looks in the mirror and she thinks oh i have to be pregnant but she isn't you know and it it can't of course that creates a dissonance in that your body's telling you one thing the ultrasound scans in the hospital are saying no but you can see and you can feel this. 
And I mean, what do you believe and what does that do to your mind? Um, another thing I sort of was interested in also was the psychology of these characters, um, the particular experiences they had had that made them who they are. And with JJD in particular, um, she doesn't grow up with her mother and motherhood is at the heart of this book. So, I mean, I had to read a number of books that uh, where they had researched what kind of impacts that might have on a girl who, I mean, maybe loses their mother or their mother is not there for some reason while they're growing up. And it was fascinating and fun to do. Um, so much so that sometimes it was an excuse not to actually write the book. <laughs> did you, when when you started the book, was it, did you have the the full story plot? Because I know some people, that, that as as they the characters grow in their minds, mm. sometimes that changes the decisions mm-hmm. they make. Mm. With you, was it was it fully formed at, at the start? Uh, you know, as you started? No, it wasn't. Um, so I had what I had at the beginning was a man and a woman in a living room having the last argument in their marriage before it ended that which actually doesn't happen in the book but that's what I had that they were standing in the living room there were people moving the woman's things out of the house and they were having an argument and I'd written this for and but I mean I just felt there's something here that I'm not seeing I don't know why are they fighting you know and at a point, I just realized, oh, this is what is happening in this marriage. And then I had to go back and start everything all over again. So it wasn't clear from the beginning. And as I went along, I would say I made discoveries and I made decisions about the directions that it could go and would and did go eventually. I find that fascinating about the development of mm. plot where I was reading uh, an old interview with Harold Pinter mm. and uh, he was talking about one of his plays and he said, I just got a line in my head and the line was, where are the scissors? Mm. And I decided to pursue the that s- question. <laughs> and I thought that's a fascinating thing to go, yeah, yeah I've got that in my head. Where, where are the scissors? <laughs> Who's got them? What, what, what has happened with them? Um, did you ever have, a, in, in terms of your involvement hmm. with these characters, was there a point in writing where you would sometimes almost feel like, I don't know if I can put them through this? As, as, you know, that, that, that feeling of, of, of empathy with hmm. a fiction with someone who is perhaps quite, quite real in your mind? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there was that empathy. But to be very honest, um, it was mostly, I don't think I can go through this one more time. Because I was... I think quite close to the characters when I was working on this novel. But I mean, there were moments where I left this book for a month because I just could not do this anymore. But it felt necessary to be faithful to what I knew to be the experiences of many people who are dealing with some of the issues that you have in this book, say sickle cell disease in particular. So I didn't want to... um, I don't want to use the expression water down, but I didn't want to um, make it easier for myself. If in reality I knew that I knew people for whom it had even been more difficult than actually happens in this book. So definitely there were moments when I felt, oh my goodness, this is this is a bit much. And I would step away from it for a while and then come back to it. 
It's interesting. I, I was uh, I mentioned to you just before we came into record, mm. but uh, when I was reading this book last week, and I was at an art centre, and someone said, "Oh, what's the book about?" Mm. and and I I said, and she said, "Oh, I lost a a, a, a child," mm. and and it gave her the chance that this was a different genetic mm. condition. Mm. This was um, Tay Sachs, and also partly this this discussion came about because of uh, we've recently had a big story. I don't, I don't know if you've seen the UK, mm. the Older Hay Hospital, mm. involving uh, the, uh, a, a child who the, 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 the medical establishment went, unfortunately, there's nothing that we can do. Mm. And this yes, has led, it's, yes. it's been uh, certain people, mm. certain mm. religious organisations, mm. and I would say some, some charlatans mm. have got involved and mm. made the whole thing. And so she was very, she wanted to kind of talk about her anger mm. as someone who had seen up close mm. how caring uh, the, the medical system would be. Mm. But I, I was interested in, in, since the book has come out, I would imagine people who wanted to communicate with you sometimes and that they have found that you have given a, a, a voice and and allowed people to say, I have permission now, I have permission to talk. Yes, definitely. I mean, most recently, um, uh, a father in Nigeria got in touch with me. He has a son that's living with sickle cell disease. And, I mean, he, he wrote a very long email about what it had been like and, I mean, how much he loves his son and but how sometimes he feels very guilty because... Uh, there's, there's still also a bit of distance, you know, because he's, he's terrified about what might happen and he's very worried. And sometimes the son was to go out and play and he feels, no, you can't do that. And, and he's, he's conflicted. So definitely that has happened, that um, people feel, I think, um, a recognition of themselves. Because there are a lot of people who have had to deal with this disease in some way or the other. Um, so I've spoken with people who've lost siblings to it and who felt permission to talk about this in a way that perhaps they might not have done before. We're now joined by Josie. And Hello. as I've said, I've been terrified of, 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 of this one. Well, it, it's such a funny thing, yeah, to like knowing the subject matter of the book and coming in being like, "Hello, I'm sorry, I'm so late, I'm so heavy and cumbersome," but it's it's really nice to meet you, and I I'm sorry that I missed the beginning. I feel really like, hi, <laughs> but um, it's upbeat from now on. That's what we. <laughs> well, I was I was excited because I was talking really briefly with your publisher about mm. the fact that uh, you had a um an event at the weekend with all the other Welcome uh, mm -hmm. welcome Trust Prize mm -hmm. nominees mm -hmm. and the fact that actually, like, it's it's a community of peers, not a competition. Mm. And, like, the fact that kind of there is this prize to celebrate that particular mm -hmm. sort of sphere of writing mm. and stuff. So I thought I might even just dive in and ask you about, like, other authors that you enjoy that maybe share kind of some sensibilities with you and things mm. like that. But I also am aware that, like, I don't know what yet you've said, so I don't want to be like, so this is my question to you. <laughs> but I... a, a buzzer will come in and go, <laughs> that must be asked already. <laughs> no, that's fine. That'd be, uh... oh, um, so, yeah, um, of course, there are all kinds of races that I enjoy. And um, so most recently, um, the books I've loved, really, really loved most recently, it's one novel called um, When I Hit You, or The Memoir of an Artist, as a, of, a, of the Writer as a Young Woman by Amina Kadansami, which is on the Women's Prize shortlist right now. And I'm oh, very, nice. very thrilled about that. I read it last year and it's such a brilliant and innovative novel. Um, there's a collection of short stories that I read last year also. Uh, because I travel quite a bit now, I I 
fall in love with short stories again because yes. it's easy to get through one. Um, Was this so good for like a flight or something? Yeah, to yeah. Savor it. Yeah, um, it's called "What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky." It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's by a writer called Leslie Nakarima. Um, it just came out in paperback in the UK, I think. It's, it's, I recommend both of them. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> when did you, I mean, as a child, was there a point where you were immersed in books and you, you started to look at the written word and just mm. go, this is, I want to put words together like this I want to create like this was there any were there any particular authors or, or, or novels you thought ah oh, this to do this to a mind yeah um, and this is one book I think I've been saying this and I'm going to do it I have to read it again so I read um, LP's, LP Atlas The Go Between when I was I think way too young to have read it um, because I used to do this thing where I would go through my father's books and just read the books I wasn't supposed to read um, when I was like nine or ten. And I remember I cried. I can't remember why I was crying, but it was the first book that made me cry. And I think I read it during at night and I cried almost all night. And that might have been the moment when I thought how can anybody do this to me? I want to do this <laughs> to other people. Um, yeah, so as a child, of course, I was reading a lot of books, but that particular one, and I need to read it again because of that. It's interesting, isn't it? When you go back, we've talked about this before, but you mm. go back to certain books that you loved mm. and you read them and you still love them, but you go, whoa, I before read this as an adventure mm. or I read this and it was kind of sad, mm. but then you get, as, with each change of age... You go, oh, I have to read this every mm. 10 years because now, whether it's after experiencing loss mm. or whether, you know, it's it's different experiences of love or whatever, you suddenly go, oh, I mean, Go Between, I think, is a mm. great example of the, the, the tragedy of that is ramped mm. up with each return, isn't it? That yeah. actual, to, to have had all of that potential mm. love and for it to be destroyed. And, I mean, it, uh, definitely. And I think that's a wonderful thing about literature that it keeps giving Every every time you go back to it, and another book I read pretty often is um, Toni Morrison's Beloved, and I mean with that for me it's just the language and the skill. It's astonishing, and I think I read it because I keep trying to figure out how she does it. Yeah. I mean I enjoy it, and so it's that I start reading it, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm like no 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 no, I need to figure this out. I can't <laughs> I can't get sucked in into the language and the lyricism again. But yeah, that's another favorite. I feel like that's kind of the dream, especially when you do the, become the thing yourself, like mm. with professional. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking with comedy, when I see comedians, and I'm still like, oh, I could never have written that. <laughs> How have you done it? It's yeah. such a thrill. You and you, and I suppose the, the the thing you want is you want to keep certain people on pedestal mm-hmm. so that you still get to be a reader and yeah. an enjoyer and not just a writer. Yeah, and, and stuff like that. Um. I um, the go between was a, n- a novel that at school mm. the other set mm-hmm. read and we read. I'm not sure what we read, but we mm. didn't read it. And I remember so all my ideas of it are of like I think I was I was S and G mm. the kids who were in G being like oh we've got to read this old book. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm like I can't believe that was <laughs> that's all I know of it. It's really embarrassing. But that's I another just thing of like Picnic at Hanging Rock again, which I read as a set text mm. when I was at school. And that's have you ever read Picnic at Hanging mm. Rock? 
it's uh, I, I can't remember why I just read this piece about it, and the fact it, it's a, it, the, the basic mystery is it's uh, a, in in Australia and this very kind of prim, desperately trying to be English school mm-hmm. that, despite you know the heat and the mystery and all of the strangeness around them, they're trying to maintain the corseted <laughs> world of England, and then they go, go off for this picnic on Hanging Rock, and mm. some of the girls just disappear, and ah. it's it's one of those things where the level of um, again I mean, it was a tremendous Tremendously thrilling book when I read it when I was 15, 16 mm-hmm. years old. But now I didn't understand all of the things about trying to imprint, you know, that you, you must not lose the English, you know, all mm. of the, this kind of colonial element mm. that's in there as well. Mm. And and that just, I, I was caught up in the story. Mm. And that, that I, th- I find fascinating. They go, yeah. oh, it's like, so when you go, oh man, I totally missed the allegories as well. <laughs> 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 But I quite like yeah. that, like, because if it was a, maybe a performance you were giving, as you grow, mm. you'd think, do you know what? I don't really feel comfortable with that. I'll change that now mm. because I'm older now and I'll do that. Mm. But because it's written and it's there. And it's permanent. Yeah. It is that mark in time. Mm. Yeah. I am um, like how. Oh, yeah. I could even be like, how do you feel about how you'll feel about your writing in 50 years and things like that? Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, so sometimes I say that I'm a bit, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit terrified about the permanence of print. Um, I suppose I'm also an obsessive writer. Like I tinker with things, I change the sentence, and I mean, I'm happy that something is in print. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I could have changed that paragraph, you know. So, um, but I suppose you could always do director's cut re-releases <laughs> later on yeah you know. and then i ran into a friend um last week in berlin and she had um a first edition copy of a first book which was a collection of short stories and she opened it and she had crossed so many things out oh, no. <laughs> after the book came out and that was so hilarious and like okay i'm not the only one who's like this <laughs> So oh, I've been mortified. I've just finished a non-fiction book, mm. and it's been quite a difficult time with me and the editor. Where because mm. I love writing, not very good at editing. I just tap 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 tap. Here are all the thoughts in my head. They make no sense, but they make sense in here. And and now it's kind of you know the argument, and I've had to hand it over every book that I read. I go. Oh, this is how I should have written the book. Yeah. Oh, this sentence would have been amazing to quote at the beginning of this. And at what point were you, basically, at what point did Canagate go, no more? <laughs> or did you actually have a moment, I suppose, with, hmm. with a story where you went... Yeah, how does that this... work when you feel that way? Hmm. I mean, I think, I, I think that eventually I do have a moment where I think... And I think it's usually when I've changed... Um, the to a like seven times and I've gone back and forth I'm like okay (laughs) I think I just have to sit with one now um so there's usually a moment when I look at it and I'm like okay I think I've done all I can and it just has to go or I will never write another book (laughs) yeah He'll always was, just was be going anywhere. Oh, sorry, Joseph. no, no, mine's just like you'll always just be going. Yes, that line needs to go. No, it's back. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's just it. Forever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Because I found that. I mean, that's the thing. That's, the story is mm. tremendously. As a reader, mm. it's very satisfying. Mm. It, as I was saying before, the, every time it's a bit like you know, you know sometimes you read something. Oh, now I know who this person is. Or mm. now, and of course, in the same way as it, it, in real life, that bit where you go, oh, and and so. 
I wondered if in in an early there, there are points where you go, this character doesn't. St- that's still mm. that's not a complete human being. Mm. And then that point of going, these are complete human mm. beings, and this part of their story. I've given enough to a reader to to fulfil mm. them. How how you can kind of test that? Mm. I mean, I think that for me, it's um, there's a moment when characters become real for me, um, and it's that, and that's when I feel like, okay, I'm actually writing a book. Like I just don't have a string of sentences on this page. Um, it's that when I am working, maybe I'm working for four hours on it, and then I walk away. And maybe I have to travel. And I discover that I'm still thinking about this person, whoever that is. And I can recognize them in people that I meet. Like, I look at somebody, I think, oh, this person will carry themselves this way. I think that's when I realize, oh, this person, this character is becoming very, very real in my imagination. And what I then need to do is make sure that it's actually translating into the page because it's very easy to have something very clear in your mind. And for whatever reason, it doesn't actually make it onto the page. So for me, it's that I just do it over and over and over again. (laughs) That's my secret. Um, Until... I feel that, okay, if I don't explain this to anyone, if I don't say anything about this character, whoever picks this book up without a cover would understand these people. Yeah. It must be immensely satisfying when people then come back to you and go, this person is like this, and you're, yeah. this character is like this, and you're like, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is, it is. Um, it makes you feel like, oh, yeah, all that time was worth it, yeah. When that that point of the character being alive, there's mm. a, a, a a philosopher who also writes about psychology mm. as well. In fact, I gave you one of his books the other day mm. about the first three years of a child's life, mm. Charles Fernahoff, mm. and he does a lot of work with people with um, inner voices, trying mm. to find different ways of using mm. them. And so he's brought in artists, mm. and, and for instance, Pat Barker, who's mm. probably most famous mm. for her First World War mm. novels, she said that she just sits there mm. and she waits for the characters to walk in her head. Mm. So suddenly, Siegfried Sassoon kind of walks in, mm. and she says, "I then don't make him do anything. Mm. I literally just sit and I listen mm. to him talking to someone else." Mm. And I thought that is a, and I know that's obviously that, that's an, an, an individual, but with with your characters, how do you when when how do they kind of come to you? Mm. Do, do you have, is there a process that Pat Barker, which, which seems so very specific? Mm. I mean, I, I don't think mine is that specific, but when I'm in the process, when I'm writing, sometimes I, okay, this is weird, but sometimes I sit with people and chat with them, not real people, like the people in the book. So sometimes I literally sit in my room and say, okay, so tell me about this. This is weird, and fortunately, nobody has walked in on it yet. Um, but sometimes I do do that. That I, I feel like I have sometimes like an hour of just chatting with this person. So it's like character hot seating yeah. that um, the actors do and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, and sometimes I do this thing where, like, for a week, and this is usually like maybe about three drafts in, and I say, oh, you know what? today I'm going to be this person and I'm going to walk in a room and sit down and think, oh, what would they notice? Not necessarily what I would notice. Um, what would they want to say? Not necessarily what I would want to say. What would they think of what this person just said? Um, so that's, I mean, those are two things I sort of do. Like, I could walk around for a week pretending to be somebody else. Yeah. 
so See, that friends. sounds because you you looked as if we should we would look at you now in a judgmental way. Mm. But you've got to realize we're both stand ups who do quite niche based and sometimes insane shows. So we're going yes, yes. yes okay. oh, oh, it was only a week, was it? <laughs> I lived with some of the voices for much longer than that. Okay, That's what good. I, also, is, I like the idea that your friends are like. She's seeing someone else this week. I think. Yeah. <laughs> she's, not, she's not being herself. <laughs> so, do, do you feel like it's really um, the characters are like the fundament of the writing for you, or is it uh, like other other aspects of it, like the story or the or the mm. um, setting or anything mm. like that? I mean, I think for me, the characters are sort of at the center of it. I mean, and with this particular book, it's it's I think it's very plotted, but. And I say this very often, it's, the plot is very accidental. It's difficult to believe it when you've read mm. it. But really, I did not think about the plot at all. I just finished it and realized that if I moved one chapter, the book would collapse. And I thought, huh, how'd that happen? So I, for, initially for me, it's the character and it's understanding what would this person say? What's their motivation? So Atkins writes in this chapter, this is what he's saying. What is he thinking? What's his, what is he trying to justify? Um, that kind of drives that. And, and the other thing for me with writing is that I need to find the form for the story. Um, I feel like for me, the stories tend to come relatively easily, but I'm thinking, okay, what's the structure? What's it going to look like? How many people are telling the story? Why? You know, and that, takes a while to figure out so for instance with this book there were initially uh, there were all sorts of things with this book so at a point it was third person narrator at a point there was second person narrator there and then at a point it was three characters who were narrating the novel and then I had to take one of the characters out um, and make it a little bit more intimate so figuring out the structure and the style and the language of each of the characters that consumes quite some energy too and time. That's quite interesting because that's quite a, a drastic shift. Like to my mind, I'd be like, "Whoa!" To to shift from, you know, like you say, from first person to mm. like three, and then to take one. But I suppose it actually, if you really, really know those characters, you really, mm. really know the motivations. Mm. That's almost less, you know, how. I don't know what I'm. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, to, to my mind, basically, when I heard that, I was like, "Gosh, that's sort of a sickening amount of organisation to have to do." Like, it that's is so intense. <laughs> it is. It's a total rewrite. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's starting all over again. Yeah. That's oh, what that's I thought intense. was very se- seamless about it is the fact that it it moves back and forth in time, mm. and then we get different points of view mm. of the same incident. Sometimes not immediately one mm-hmm. after the other. And at no point did I feel. You know, the, the seamless way in which I suddenly go, oh, right, now mm. it's him talking. Mm. You know, you ve- mm-hmm. very gently, you just, in a couple of sentences, you go, oh, okay, now mm. I realise this this perspective. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was part of... Uh, it, it does, it's very good, I thought, at stirring up the the confusion in a relationship, mm. the, the, the trying to work out the ethical boundaries mm. everyone in this in this book as far as i can see was trying to do the right thing yeah and however destructive that became mm. there is no one who is evil in this book there is no one who's being machiavellian mm. or indeed cruel in this mm-hmm. book and the complexity of that mm. and moving around in mm. time was you're going to enjoy it but you're not allowed to read it for three years i feel i feel really um I feel really strange being like. No, please don't read it yet. I've been advised not to read it. No, don't read it yet. But my friend John was reading it and he was loving it, so I was like, okay, I I know it's good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I feel quite silly. Mm. Um, 
Oh, I, I'd love to hear more about like. Do you find that you mainly read um, novels, or do you, do you have? Oh, you were saying about short stories. Like, mm. do you feel like that's kind of your main uh, go-to at the moment? Um, no, I, I I love I love novels. I love big novels that I can sort of just think into for a very long time. But I also, um, because I travel quite a bit now. And sometimes the only time I have to read is maybe when I'm on the plane or I'm waiting to board or something. Short stories are really, really fantastic for that. And I think that when you find the people who write it very well, it can't feel like you've read a novel. Yes. Like, it can really feel like that. I felt like it that It can be that emotionally satisfying. Yes, totally. Like, as have that mm. level of depth mm-hmm. and stuff yeah. to them. Are you able to read for pleasure when you're writing? I mean, because obviously there's a huge amount of research mm. this, and I know there's other authors we've spoken to who say, for instance, when I'm writing a, a piece of work, mm. I only read Agatha Christie. Mm. So I know how Agatha Christie works, <laughs> and I know that I can switch, and I, 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 I hopefully not have a moment where I go, oh, hang on a minute, this should be more like an Agatha Christie novel. <laughs> or, you know, this might not be true, of course, of crime writers, mm. especially working in the 1920s and mm. 1930s. But that bit of going, here is a thing that mm-hmm. I can just go, this is in no way attached, mm. or... Are you still open to, are you able to write and uh, read anything you want? Um, I think that I'm, I'm usually able to read anything I want. With, And it changes with each draft. With the first draft, I'm reading a lot. Like when I'm writing the first draft, I want to read as many books as possible. Um, with the second draft, there are books that... So sometimes what I'm doing when I'm reading for when I'm writing the first draft is that I'm reading so if I'm writing in third person I'm reading books in third person because I want to be in that thing I mean it it doesn't necessarily mean I'm writing like that but I want to be thinking like that um, even when I'm not writing and I'm putting books aside so when I'm doing the second draft and their books I don't know why it happens but there's some books that I read and they make me want to write like I read a page and I'm like you know what I'm going to go and write so I'm putting books like that aside and sometimes it's just the language it's just something that about it that unlocks sentences inside of me you know so like when I'm reading I can get really inspired something totally tangential and unrelated to what I'm reading but there's some just some books that seem to have a kind of key and I'm putting those ones aside so that I can read them again when I'm doing the second draft. By the time I'm on the third draft, I really can't, if it's a novel, I really can't read novels. I'm reading like short stories, um, flash fiction, like 500 words that's really well done. Um, and sometimes that's it. And then poetry, like something totally different from what I'm doing. Is there, um, one of the things about the, I've mentioned already the fact to be nominated for the Welcome mm. Prize. Um, this to me seems like a very good meeting of you know the two cultures of art mm. and science mm. that this this and I, and I think it's a, a good example of something because you know as I was reading this mm. I was very often just stopping mm. and going onto the internet mm. and and looking up different mm. information mm. not merely about sickle cell but I mean th- there's some something you know so many ideas about mm. it about mental health mm-hmm. and, and and also genetic disease yeah. um is that something now that you think oh I'd like to explore this again I'd like to I, and I know that that immediately creates something of, of a mm. kind of yoke but mm. that bit of going no this this is a potent way mm. of drawing people into major issues yeah definitely um it's something I would love to do again not immediately actually because quite grilling but it's definitely something I know I'll do again at some point 
just do one where people go to Mars and just deal with like <laughs> lots of different things that happen on Mars. Mm-hmm. You know, or why can't we fly through the middle of Jupiter? It's a gas yeah. planet. You know, stuff stuff nice. like that. Go, yeah. go go for a fun space adventure. Yeah. No one will be expecting that for the <laughs> yeah. second one. But how did you go about researching? Did you read any nonfiction that you'd really recommend mm. and uh, anything like that? So, I mean, I read a lot of clinical journals. Wow. <laughs> Dry. Yes, I was on PubMed a lot um, when I was writing this book. And that, that that was really my primary source. So I read a lot of... Um, it was mostly clinical journals, yeah. really, um, by gynecologists, by hematologists, and um, psychiatrists. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was a bit technical. Yeah. Who were in terms of non-fiction? Is there? I'm thinking of the, obviously the prize tonight. There's some mm. very interesting books. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you've been on it, has have you found yourself going? Oh, I'm actually reading more. Oh, from most of what you've mm-hmm. said, you mm-hmm. in terms of, of of reading for enjoyment, mm-hmm. you are drawn predominantly to fiction. Yeah, would you say definitely. Because we mentioned Lindsay Fitzharris mm-hmm. is the butchering yeah. art, and we've talked about four. That's the one that uh, I did oh. that one on my own, which is an incredibly gory uh, piece of work for the first hundred pages, all about uh, basically. Surgery, yeah, and, I remember uh, the, the history uh, of it, and and I thought what was great about that piece of work, for instance, is it feels there is a a, a, a feeling of it being a novel as well. It's a yeah. non fiction novel, yeah. but it, it's an, it's an adventure where she has to be set to actually what happened historically. But the the colours and the flavours and mm-hmm. the the flavours are horrible. By the way, you definitely <laughs> want to spit out all the flavours in that one. More pus and blood. Uh, yeah. Um, so I mean I think I'm I'm reading more non-fiction right now and I'm picking up more non-fiction titles. I think um actually more medical titles. Um I think I just picked up one this afternoon actually. Um because like I said I think that I will be writing more of that in the future. So I'm trying to do some kind of research already. And what projects are you on at the moment? I mean, obviously, you're a lot of this, as you were saying, you're traveling around, mm-hmm. uh, traveling. And with this, is there a point where you go, I don't know, it was ages ago that I wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Is there a bit where you ever feel, I, I want to leave this now? Or, or rather, that that is perhaps you, you realize there will be a point where you go, right, I have to now be talking about something else. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose the way to rescue myself is to write another book, <laughs> so that then I can talk about that. Um, but I do, I do get some time off, like about six weeks, where I just write and I don't do any events. I'm not traveling, and I can forget about this book. <laughs> yeah. What's been the strangest reaction to the book? Because um, uh, again, dealing with someone like that, I can imagine you go to very diverse reactions from people. Yes, it has. Um, Maybe the strangest one was walking into a recording studio in Lagos and um, the presenter saying to me, I'm so upset with you. We're going to fight because... Oh, great. Great yeah. start. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice to meet you too. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit... Like, okay. It was it was a great interview at the end of it, but it was pretty upset. And he was like, oh, this particular character, I think you were very mean to them. And that was brother. And he was like, no, I mean, I think he's the hero of this book and you did not make him a hero. I'm like, okay. That's such That's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. It, was this, a, was this a male presenter? Or? Yes, it was a male presenter. Because I don't feel that the brother is... Uh, 
I think it's a fascinating because right, I'm not going to give away too much. No, you have to but what, what you first believe he is, and then when you realise mm. the sacrifice that he makes, yeah, wow, that radio presenter was a fool and read totally <laughs> the wrong book. I, I didn't but get that also, at all. Mm. I think that's what's so great about it is that every single character there is an, a, a chance to empathise with mm. them. There is no one that, you know, it's it's very easy to read a book and go, oh, I know exactly how I'm meant to feel. Mm. Whereas very often when, when there's the, the little twists of information you mm. give, you go, oh, I'm feeling totally, where I thought this book was going to go, mm. where I thought the tragedy of this mm. book was, that's no more. Mm. Also, it's just funny that he obviously was so involved with the book, like loved the book so much. <laughs> it's such a fan. It's like what little kids do with mm. Harry Potter or something. Mm. They're like, no, you got rid of my favourite character. Yeah. So yeah. it's like such a compliment, but such like a twisted compliment. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a strange moment. And I was a bit worried initially, but I think, I mean, I think it worked out fine eventually. The only one I have trouble, I have to say, mm. uh, the mother, mm. uh, there are points where I just go, I mean, it, there's some incredibly... Um, I mean, one of the things that I found saddest, and, I, and we can cut this out if it's mm. anyway, but the, the finding out about the fact that um, children being buried where the parents don't know where they mm. are. And I'm uh, sorry. No, no, that wasn't, don't like, say it. That was like, I'm so but, like, but, sad but, but to hear that. That, that for me, was heart-wrenching. And I mm. thought to, to, to have that removed. Mm. So how common is that? I mean, it's not anymore, but it used to be. And I suppose that it, I mean, I think that it probably started as a way of sort of shielding the people from this, like, terrible thing. Like, you don't really want to know, you know, like. Um, but then now I think what does happen, like, sort of culturally, I mean, I don't know of anyone who's attended a child's funeral, for instance. Like, it's usually people who are younger than them. But I do know that parents then go later in the evening and just go to see where uh, the body is. But before, it was basically that the body would be totally... It would be like the extended family that would handle it in a way that shields you from knowing or... But I imagine that it was done to shield you. But of course, like many well-intentioned things, it, it can be very damaging because then how do you get the closure? I mean, you could... I mean. It's, it's 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 a terrible thing to think of. I mean, for me, actually. There was a when we talked to Richard Holloway, mm. uh, who was uh, former Bishop of Edinburgh, mm. and in fact on the same mm. yeah Canongate Gate mm. as well. And <laughs> and he talked about errors he made when he was first dealing with funerals. Mm. And he talked about the the first child's funeral that he and he said I turned to the mother and I and I said said don't don't worry one day you'll you'll be over this. And said she just hit me very hard and said, I never want to be over this. And I thought that yeah. between reading these two, mm. you know, books in, in quite mm. quick succession, his, his mm. book, Wait for the Last Bus, that, yeah, incredible. Um, Josie, we'll end on an upbeat note. So sing your song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go on, Josie. What's it? Easy, it's an amazing. Uh, what have you been reading, by the way? I should well, ask I've now been because reading... we've been bombarding you with. Uh... No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, I've been reading Richard Holloway's other book. Uh, can't remember the name because I uh, can't remember anything. Between the Monster anything. and the Saint, uh, no, the Godless Morality, uh, Leaving Alexandria. No, 
maybe it's waiting for the last. No, I've been reading waiting for the last bus, but I'm not that far through. Oh my god, my brain! I'm sorry. You it's, are allowed I, to have a brain all over the I shop, as you know. I have a friend who now I can remember his name. His name is Tom. But earlier I was trying to text someone and say because they'd referred to him, but not by name, and I wanted to text. Oh, Tom, I love him so much. Couldn't remember his name. I was like, we can't love him that much. <laughs> but um, my brain is really dire. And I, I have been reading a lot of books that are like how to have a happy childbirth and mm. how to not freak out. And <laughs> I am. Um, so then I got a bit sick of it. So I've been started reading uh, Homage to Catalonia, the mm. um, uh, George Orwell book. Um, and something else I've sort of been rebelling against what I've been having to read but then I realized um last week I was like I haven't I've got all these books about pregnancy and birth mm-hmm. and nothing about how to parent and I've not thought for 10 seconds like am I gonna have a strategy or am I gonna be ad hoc like what am I gonna do so in a in a like real fit I ordered two books about Danish parenting even though I know Denmark has some like problematic things with the far right but on the whole I'm like oh is this a society well they're not specifically far right no no they're not far right parenting (laughs) (laughs) it always seeps through at the end (laughs) (laughs) and that is why Denmark oh no (laughs) but they're very much like about like in Denmark everyone's very relaxed and they're very at ease and why so what those two and I bought a book by Michael Rosen who is a poet and writer who as a child I really really loved and still really love him very much and um, he's written a book about it's called How to Be Your Child's and Your Best Teacher Mm. and it's I think it's about kind of fostering curiosity and wonder Mm. and stuff like that so I was like well I've got these three books I'm going to be the best parent in the world of course don't (laughs) need to read them just got them on the shelf so that's um yeah that's where I've been not not sort of not as scholarly as I would currently Mm. like but yeah it'll be a beautiful moment where like Marley's ghost you basically pull out all of those books on childbirth you went right I don't need those anymore (laughs) all of these things that took me on the adventure well also I can really de-recommend, unrecommend, hmm. anti-recommend a couple of books that are, pardon me, pregnancy books. I bought this one that was Pregnancy Countdown Day by Day. And it is the most sexist trash I've ever read in my life. It's like, well, by this point in pregnancy, you'll be too tired to cook your husband dinner every night. So you'll have to work out strategies. to. And I'm like, is this from today? Or is this from, like, yeah, because my boyfriend's been doing really, all of is, the cooking. Is it from today? Yeah, it is. It's, it's literally, because then another page is like, why not consider naming your child after one of your favourite brands? Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, Hewlett-Packard, <laughs> Dell, Apple. I was like, this is... My son would be called Oxfam Bookshop. Oh, oh that's a lovely name, beautiful yeah. name for a boy. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? Was there another uh, D recommend you were going to? Uh, oh gosh, no, I can't remember. But it would, it will be one like that. It will be like mm-hmm. something I bought, thinking this will really cheer me up, and then it will have a bit in it saying, unfortunately, everyone hates a wrinkly mummy, but you'll have to not have your Botox. But I think I mentioned that before in another... That doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah, Um, sorry. And what what are you reading at the moment as you're travelling around and travelling off to the awards do? So right now I'm reading a novel called um, Free Food for Millennials by Min Jin Lee. Yeah, it's about... um, 
It's about a lot of characters. Um, so, but at the heart of it, it's a Korean American woman who's um, who has a shopping addiction, and she's walking on Wall Street, and um, yeah. So that's where I'm at right now. It's it's interesting. Well, thanks very much for coming. Stay with me is. Uh... I think it's my favourite novel of the year so far. Oh, it really is great. You. It's uh, um, and there's so many. It's just dense with ideas. Uh, so thank you very much. And thank, uh, you. thank you so much. Um, I would like to personally thank Nick Garrard, Ryan Davis, Patrick O'Brien, Lindsay Williams, Nina Holst, Caroline Smith. Randy Mason, Rebecca Ford, and Kerry Ann Adamson. Thank you to those and all our Patreons, and it's patreon.com slash bookshambles if you would like to pledge to support the show. Thanks very much for listening. We will be back next week. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. (laughs) 